Well, good morning. Uh, I think that we're all super pumped that we are in this place because it's already been an incredible time. Um, I want to start off this morning by asking us a very simple question. Have you ever been bored? And I know some of you are probably thinking and maybe even have a thought right now, yes, Wes, every single time you walk on the stage, that is my thought. And I can understand that. And you even thought to yourself, man, he spoke last week, so I bet he's not speaking this weekend. And then you showed up and you're like, great. Um, I do have good news. Mark is back next weekend and it's gonna be an incredible time. But um, I want us to understand boredom is a real thing. It is something that every single one of us have experienced it. We've experienced it in our routines. We've experienced it at work. We've experienced it in our meals as we eat the same thing over and over and over. And we're finally like, man, I'm kind of tired of pizza and hamburgers all the time. We've experienced it in our Netflix shows as we binge watch a season or two. And then we realize, you know what? This show's a little bit boring. I mean, if I could have a superpower, it would be the superpower to be able to know what my feelings would be at the end of a Netflix show because then I would know I wasn't wasting my time. I mean, isn't it crazy how excited your kids get for summer, and then by day two, you hear something like, I'm bored. Mom, Dad, I'm bored. Can, can we do something? I'm bored. And it's like, you just got out of school. You were so excited about summer. Or maybe it's the new car. I mean, you get that new car, and you are so excited to have that new car. You are pumped. You don't even have anywhere you need to go, but you're volunteering to run errands because you just want to be in the new car. You want to smell the new car smell. You want to play with all the new upgrades on the new car that you have. And then three weeks, three years later, you're like, oh, man, this just isn't as exciting as it used to be. But the payments are still there for like another three years. And so it's just like, man, just kind of stuck in this boredom. You know, I thought about... Actually, I sent my notes in to the team this week and I titled my message originally, Jesus is Boring. And I got a little nervous about that because then I was like, man, what happens when this goes out on like YouTube or Instagram and it just says, Jesus is Boring, community of faith. Like, oh, that's dangerous. And you know, even to hear that and to hear someone say that, especially in church, is a little bit offensive and it creates a little bit of tension because we would never admit that, we would never actually say that but we've been in a place in our life, maybe even right now, where we would say, you know, my faith in Jesus is kind of boring. I would never say that, I would never admit that, but that is kind of what I'm feeling. The reality is, is this is boring. And maybe there was a season in your life, there was a time where you were all in, you were excited, there was a joy, there was, there was life, there was vision, you were pumped. I mean, you were ready to take on the gates of hell with water pistols. You were all in for Jesus. Nothing could stop you, but now you're in a place, you're in a season, you're like, man, I just don't, I don't feel it. And even just a moment ago, you're looking around and there's people, their hands are up, their eyes are closed, they're just singing out loud, don't even care what they sound like. I mean, sound like a wild banshee crying and you're like, man, I'm just not getting there. I just, I just don't feel that. I just don't experience that in my life right now. And sometimes we have this tendency to think that, oh, you know, I just need some more information or maybe I need better inspiration. I need a new voice Maybe if I could just get a change of scenery, there would be that life, there would be that excitement, there would be that joy that I once had in my life. And sometimes this is even the tendency that we have to start to kind of jump churches and we start to church hop, hoping to find something that gives us this life as we sit, as we attend. And it becomes dangerous because we begin to fool ourselves. So what I want us to understand this morning is that I believe that the perfect remedy for a boring faith is a life lived on purpose. 
Let me say that again. I believe the perfect remedy for a boring faith is a life lived on purpose. Paul speaks into this. He writes to the church at Corinth and he's writing to people who have just begun to trust Jesus, who have just placed their faith in Jesus and he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he's saying, as a result of your faith, as a result of your relationship with Jesus, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love the word ambassadors. I love that it's translated ambassadors in the English language because it sounds powerful. It sounds exciting. It sounds like there's a strong purpose there. Paul is saying, he's saying, he is trying to make an appeal through you. God wants his message. God wants his love. God wants his hope. God wants his purpose that we all get to experience because of Jesus. He wants that message to go out to the world and he wants to use you and me to share that message not because of something that's going to be accomplished one day, but because of something that's already been accomplished. We've already been reconciled to God and he wants us to take that message to the world. And so maybe you're in banking and finance, maybe you're in education, maybe you're in retail, maybe you're in sales, you're in government, you're in construction, you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, maybe you're a student in high school or college, whatever it is you do, keep doing that, don't stop. And do it to the best of your ability, all that you are. Be successful, but understand that as a Jesus follower, as a person who says, I have placed my faith in Jesus, there's another layer to that life. It's as we do what we've been tasked to do, we do it really well so that we have an opportunity to share about a hope, so that we can declare to the world that they can know the God that you and I know because it wasn't something that was just accomplished for me and for you, it was accomplished for all the world. And so to better understand this this morning, I want us to look at a passage in Mark chapter five, starting in verse one. And it's a really bizarre story, but I think we can gain some insight this morning on what it looks like to live a life on purpose for Jesus. Look what it says in verse one. It says, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. Now we have to pause right there and understand what is happening, where this is happening. Jesus and his disciples have gone across the Sea of Galilee to a place known as Decapolis. You'll see that word in a little bit in the passage. The area of Decapolis, the region of Decapolis was a massive region and it was made up of 10 different cities. And it was a place that didn't have a lot of Jewish influence, it didn't have a lot of religious influence, it was a place of self-indulgence, it was a, self, a place of tons of sexual immorality, of greed, of addiction, of debauchery. I mean, this was a dark, difficult place. And it says that Jesus goes specifically to this place. You know, it's interesting, I was reading this week and scholars believe that when Jesus was telling the parable of the prodigal son, about the son who looked at his father and said, Father, I wish you were dead, because if you were dead, then I could go ahead and have my inheritance. Why don't you actually go ahead and give me my inheritance? And then the son leaves with his portion of the inheritance, and he goes to a far off place. People believe that when Jesus was telling that story, he was pointing to Decapolis. It is the place, the ultimate place, where someone would go to live all for themselves to trust their own ways, to live in the moment, to live the life they feel like they've always wanted. The the, the area known as Decapolis would be like the, the worst of Las Vegas combined with the worst of college spring break all in one place, all on steroids. I mean, it was, it, this was a dark place. And it says that Jesus goes to this place 
And Jesus never went anywhere by accident. He always went on purpose. He always went with a plan. Look what happens in verse two. It says, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Sounds like some of your three-year-olds. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. What a bizarre scene. I mean, this story is actually told in Matthew and Luke as well, and in both of their recounts of this story, they say that the man was also naked. So you have this naked man running through the mountains, screaming, out of control, drooling, hurting himself. I mean, ladies, this is not the guy you want to take home to meet the family. I mean, he's sitting on the couch, he's cussing, he's shouting, he's drooling all over himself. It's like, hey, mom, dad, I want you to meet my new friend. Like, dad's not excited to meet this guy. But this is the reality that this man is living in. The condition that he has found himself in, the influence of the enemy in his life, in this area that's dark and difficult, has led him to where he's now an outcast, probably completely disowned by his family. He's lonely, he's out of control, he's restless, he's experiencing no peace. I mean, this is a hopeless situation. And his people have even pushed him out and sent him to the mountains, to the place of death, to the tombs, because they think, man, there's really no reason for this guy to even continue to live. And Jesus makes it a point on purpose to go across the Sea of Galilee to have an encounter with this man. And as you continue to read the story, and we're not gonna read the whole story for the sake of time, but Jesus completely changes and heals this guy. It's a bizarre story. There's pigs involved. Jesus commands the demons to leave the, the man and, and go into this herd of pigs, and the, herds, the herd of pigs go off the cliff into the ocean, and everybody on the keto diet was disappointed because they're like, man, there goes my bacon. Uh, it's just an incredible story. You can go back and read the rest of it. But I want us to jump to the end in verse 18. Look what it says. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. I mean, he has completely turned this guy's life around. And this guy's saying, Jesus, I just wanna go with you. I just wanna be with you. I just, I, I, I need more of you. I mean, we sang that just a few minutes ago. Look what Jesus responds with. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. He says, no, you can't, you can't go with me. And it's also the very first time in the scripture where Jesus had healed somebody, where he had performed a miracle, and he said, go tell everyone. Go home and share the news. Now, this guy had no idea of any sort of religious custom, any religious practice. He knew nothing about the Jewish culture in that day. He didn't know anything about Jesus except for Jesus had made an encounter with him. Jesus had pursued him in a desperate, difficult situation, and it completely, completely flipped his life around. What the guy knew was his story. He knew that he had a story. And Jesus says, go home and you share that story. And this is that here am I, send me moment for this man. And then in verse 20 it says, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. You know, I remember when I finally just recognized that I needed Jesus and I gave Jesus my life and I said, Jesus, I trust you with everything. And there's been times 
countless times where I've, I've tried to go back on that, times where I've tried to, t- tried to retake control, but there was nothing more exciting, more life-giving than that moment in my faith. But I think one way to keep that energy, to keep that excitement, to keep that drive, to keep that life going in my faith journey is to share with people my Jesus story. For you to share with people your Jesus story. Because when I look around at the world around us, it's not much different than what I see in Decapolis. We live in a world full of hurts. We live in a world full of confusion, full of addiction, full of depression, despair, loneliness, frustration, and I truly believe that they're the only hope in the world is Jesus. You know, I had a birthday last week and I was thinking about this and I always kinda, you probably do the same thing. Every time you get a year older, you kinda feel like you got punched in the gut, but you start to kinda reflect on your life a little bit and I was just thinking back to my life and I start to remember some of the things that have happened in my life, some of the influence in my life and I begin to even think about what has God blessed me with and I begin to get overwhelmed to think about the things that God has done in my life as I've trusted him. And I have not trusted him all the time, so don't look at me and let me be the hero of the story because there is nothing about me that makes me a hero. But I begin to think about, because I have some tendencies in my life, I have some habits, I have some difficult things that I wrestle with, and there's been some circumstances in my life, when you pair those up with some of my tendencies and some of my habits, they can be incredibly destructive. But I'm overwhelmed when I think about how thankful I am that I recognized and had an encounter with Jesus and I placed my faith in Jesus because I think it's protected me from myself. It's given me some freedom from myself. It's kept me from being completely rocked to the bottom by some of the circumstances that were beyond my control that I've had to experience in my life. And that's none, of, none of that is to say that with arrogance or pride, but I see that and I begin to look around and I see people who haven't experienced that. And I don't look at them with pride or arrogance, I look at them with compassion and gentleness because I know that without Jesus, my life would probably look worse than theirs. And so I'm thankful for the work that he's done in my life. But he's charged us with something. Every single one of us have been told to go home and tell everybody who the Lord is and what he's done for you. And there's power in that. And I know that we can come to a time like this, we can be in a church service like this, and we can get charged up and excited, and then we can have a tendency to go to the extreme. I remember one of my friends in high school, we had been to church camp, we heard a message similar to this, you know, go tell everybody in the world about Jesus. And so he went home and he did what he thought was best, he grabbed a cigarette lighter, and he would walk up behind people and he would put that cigarette lighter up behind their ear. And it would burn them, I mean, he literally burned them. Everybody's walking around with a blister on their ear because they would turn around, they'd be like, Nick, what, what is wrong with you? And he would say, you think that's hot? Let me tell you about Jesus. And I, I, I'm not sure that was the most effective way to tell people about Jesus. I, I'm pretty sure that the most effective way is not to stand on a street corner with a sandwich board and a bullhorn saying, hey, turn or burn, get saved or get microwaved. I mean, nobody, nobody needs that in their life. In fact, I think the world needs less people shouting at them about their beliefs and their convictions. And I believe that in all gentleness, in all compassion, in all humility, Jesus is calling us to simply share our story. You see, I believe that boredom begins to evaporate when you share your story. Boredom begins to go away. It begins to get pushed out as you and I begin to share our story. 
And I understand that it's uncomfortable, but we have to embrace the discomfort. I mean, Jesus did this. He goes to a far off place that was probably risky for him, for his life. And he goes there, he chooses to go there on purpose. You know, it's interesting, um, the conversations that we can have with complete strangers. You can be walking around at a store, at the grocery store, at the mall, anywhere in, in just the normal day, and it's, it's nothing to have a conversation with somebody. I had a guy just, just a couple days ago, I was getting my fishing license at Academy. And he, I was sitting there and he goes, you, uh, you going fishing or you going hunting? And I said, well, probably both, but mostly fishing. And he goes, oh, awesome. He goes, where do you fish? And we started this conversation. By the end of the conversation, he's showing me pictures and videos of all the fishing that he does, all the fish that he's caught. And in my mind, the whole time, I'm thinking, I can catch more fish than this guy. But I didn't say that. I just kind of just let it go. But I was never, like, there was nothing wrong with that conversation. We can talk about the weather we can even talk about our sports teams. We can talk about who we're loyal to, who we're not loyal to. Listen, I mourn with those who mourn this morning. I mean, yesterday was a rough day. Whether you were like the maroon team or the orange team, it was a rough day. <laughs> but we don't, have to, we don't have a problem talking about that. Girls can walk up to a complete stranger, another female, and say, girl, that looks so cute on you. And that's okay. Now guys, we don't do that a lot. <laughs> and that's probably okay too but there's something different when it comes to talking about Jesus. And I think the reason is, is because it matters. There's weight to it. There's a purpose behind it. And when we begin to think about that, it begins to overwhelm us a little bit. You know, it's interesting, I rarely run into people who aren't at least somewhat open to the idea of God. I mean, I just, I just believe that, I just know that, I just, I've experienced that. I remember having a conversation with a student a couple years ago and he was like, Wes, it seems like every, every time you have a conversa- conversation with, with somebody about God, um, they're just kind of open to talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, I, you're, you're right. I mean, there are times that, you know, I have conversations and people are like, man, I, I just really don't want to hear that. You know, I'm, I'm not interested. Don't bring that up anymore. And, I, and I'll respect that. I'm not going to continue to try to shove my faith down their, down their throat. But here's what I think. I think that we oftentimes find what we're looking for and what we think we'll find. And so if we think that everybody around us doesn't wanna have anything to do with God or Jesus, then that's kind of the expectation we live life with. It's like thinking about buying a new car. You're like, man, I really need to get that 2019 F-150. And you've been thinking about it, you've been thinking about it, you and your wife have been talking about it. The next day you go to work, and in the first 15 minutes of your commute, you see 20 Ford F-150s, and you call her up, and you're like, hey babe, it's a sign. I've seen 20 in 15 minutes. We need to go to the dealership tonight. We find what we're looking for, and I think the same thing is true for us. And so for some of us this morning, the step that we need to take is to simply start praying for the opportunity, because as we pray for the opportunity to share our story, to speak about Jesus, we're aware to the opportunities. We're looking for them. We recognize them, we see it. You know, when I was a freshman in college, I met a girl that I became interested in and we started to date and, and I really liked her and, um, but there was something about my life at that point that I'd never done. I'd never ridden a roller coaster. I never had any desire to ride a roller coaster. In fact, I had been to Six Flags countless times with my friends and watched them ride roller coasters all day long. Bored out of my mind, but I was not getting on a roller coaster. I was afraid of heights, I was afraid of being out of control and so I just didn't do it. And so I started talking to this girl, started dating this girl, and then I quickly found out that her most favorite thing to do in life was to ride roller coasters. And I thought, oh, shoot. And there was a Saturday that we didn't have anything going on, and we said, hey, what do you, what do you want to do this weekend? She's like, let's go to Six Flags. I was like, okay. And I never told her that I'd never been on a roller coaster before. I said, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. 
you know, because I didn't want her to think, man, this guy's a wimp. He won't even get on a roller coaster. And so we go to Six Flags, and when we got there, it was the first weekend that the roller coaster Mr. Freeze opened. And I don't know if you've been on Mr. Freeze, but it's fast. <laughs> and it goes really high. And I was scared out of my mind. And we waited in line for like three hours. I remember the last like 15 minutes where you're actually in the room and you're watching people take off. And when it takes off, their face just goes smeared back to the, to the seat. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is terrible. My leg's literally shaking. And she's like, oh, this is gonna be so good. I'm like, yep, it's gonna be awesome. So we get in, they strap us in. I mean, have you ever been so scared that you couldn't even shout or scream? That was me. I mean, it was like zero to 60 in like one second, no joke. And it only lasted like 13 seconds. It's like the fastest roller coaster ever. And we get off and I'm like shaking and I can't hardly walk. And she's like, man, that was so awesome. We should do that again. And in my mind, I thought, yeah, we should. That was awesome. But I couldn't celebrate the way I really wanted to celebrate. I wanted to celebrate and be like, that was my first roller coaster ever. That was so amazing. But I couldn't do it. I just had to play it cool. (laughs) Yeah, man, that was awesome. Let's go ride another one. You know what? We rode roller coasters all day long. It was exhilarating. I remember getting home that night and calling my mom and dad and saying, hey, mom, dad, you're going to be so proud of me. And I know they were thinking, man, did he, is he making all A's? Did he get a new job? You know, what, what's, what's happening? And I'm like, I rode a roller coaster. And they were like, really? Proud of you, son. The reason I tell you that story is because I think there's something exhilarating as we push through the intimidation and the discomfort to begin to share our story. Just simply speak into our story. It's your story. You don't have to know everything about God. You don't have to know everything about church. You just need to know your story. So when it comes to knowing your story, I wanna give you three parts to your story that you can identify and then communicate really, really quick. Three parts in three minutes. The first part of your story is your life before Jesus. My life before Jesus. What did life look like? What were the circumstances? How did I, how did I grow up? Maybe, maybe you started trusting Jesus at a really young age. You don't remember a lot of your life before Jesus, and that's okay. But what is your story? The good, the bad, the ugly. Most importantly, just be honest and authentic in your story. My life before Jesus. The second part of your story is this, how I decided to follow Jesus. What were the circumstances? What was the setting? What was it that allowed you to finally see Jesus for who he really is and who he ultimately wants to be in your life. For me, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I'd never trusted Jesus. And it was influences from other people that led me to that. How did I decide to follow Jesus? The third part is this, my life with Jesus. What difference has been made in my life as a result of my faith in Jesus? You know, a lot of times we like to share a story and we like to talk about everything we did prior to Jesus, almost like we wished we were still living that way. I was like, man, it was so awesome, but so destructive. And then I met Jesus, the end. But you know, I really believe that as we begin to follow Jesus, the best part of the story is what's happened in our life as a result of the work that Jesus continues to do in our life. That's your story. And I would challenge you even in the next couple of days to just sit down and just reflect on those three parts and write it down so that next time you have an opportunity as you're praying for an awareness to speak into this, you know your story and you're able to speak into your story. When we came home from middle school camp this past summer, I got an email on the, the late the night that we arrived and it was a frantic mom. She had an urgent email. She had an urgent request and she wanted me to call her. And most of the time, that's because you know their daughter left their cell phone on the bus or they forgot their makeup bag or their son forgot their, their pillow on the bus and they're desperate to get that back. But this was different. 
She said, my, my brother wants to get baptized this weekend. I was like, oh, awesome, yeah, we can make that happen. The middle school students were gonna get baptized that weekend. And so um, we connected on Sunday morning and she began to tell me the story. You see, her daughter had given her life to Jesus at camp that week and she came home and she couldn't stop talking about it. She couldn't stop talking about the difference that Jesus was making in her life. At the same time, her uncle, who had been gone for years, who had lived a life of a lot of poor choices and was living in the consequences of some of those poor choices, he had decided to come and make a surprise visit. And as he was sitting there listening to this little girl tell her story about her faith in Jesus, he said, that's what I need. And he asked her, he said, can I get baptized with you this weekend? And so she called and she's like, can we make this happen? I was like, absolutely we can make this happen. And he decided to get baptized that Sunday with his niece, all because she shared her story. Your story is your story and your story has power. And so we have to share our story. But as we share our story, we have to always continue to point to Jesus. Always point to Jesus. We share our story, but we continue to point to Jesus because we have a tendency as we start to live life to start really feel good about ourselves. We start to think, you know what? I've got it all together. I'm doing really well. I've done well for myself. We begin to think, you know what? I've accomplished a lot. And we fail to remember that it's Jesus that's at work in our life. And we begin to think, oh, you know what? I'm kind of a big deal. Let me elevate Wes a little bit. And you know, Jesus is still there, but Wes, Wes is, man, Wes is doing good. You know, it's interesting. You have to look back to the story and you see the work that Jesus does in this life. In, in this man's life. You know, we're not responsible for life change. We're just simply responsible for sharing our story. You know, I heard a story about a, a man who decided to rob a house and he, uh, this burglar had gone inside the house and it was middle of the night, the lights were out, it was dark, and he starts to kind of sneak around looking for things that he's going to take that are valuable. And as he's snooping through the house, he hears a voice say, Jesus is watching you. And he thought to himself, uh, yeah, uh, what, what in the world? This is a weird security system, but he keeps doing what he's doing. And then he hears it again, Jesus is watching you. And he thought, okay, this isn't a coincidence. And so he starts to kind of go towards the voice. It's still dark. And as he gets into the kitchen, he sees in the, a silhouette in the kitchen window of a birdcage with a parrot inside. And he looks at the parrot and he says, did you say Jesus is watching me? And the parrot said, yes. And he said, what's your name, parrot? He said, my name is Moses. <laughs> and he said, what kind of moron names their parrot Moses? And he says, the same moron that names his Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> and, and I'm going somewhere with this. Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been freaking out. You've been stressed out as you've been sitting there because I skipped over a verse. And you've, you're that type A personality. It's like, we gotta go in order, Wes, and you didn't go in order. Can we go back, please, and read verse 15? Look what it says in verse 15. It says, they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, the demon-possessed man, and they became frightened. Man, this is an incredible just reality in this moment. It says that these people are frightened and that word frightened is actually the idea that they were struck in awe. They were awestruck. We've talked about that recently. They were awestruck by the power of Jesus and what it accomplished in the life of this man. As you begin to think about this, you begin to see the contrast. You see this man's story. You think about his life before Jesus. I mean, he's lonely. He has no identity. His family has completely pushed him out. He's experienced physical pain 
frustration. He is completely out of control. And then Jesus makes it a point to meet this man right where he is. And in this encounter, he experiences the power of Jesus in his life. And he begins to trust Jesus. And then you see a life with Jesus. And this is what the people see. They see a man not out of control, not without peace, not without hope. They see a man sitting at the feet of Jesus. They see a man at peace, clothed, healed, made new. And I think it's interesting. I was thinking about this. This, this hit me yesterday morning. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about teaching this, and I, remember, I realized that Jesus actually says to the man, go home, go home. I mean, think about that. He had been in the mountains. His family had pushed him out. This was somebody's dad. This could have been somebody's spouse. Jesus says, go home. Oh my gosh, do you see the power in this? Jesus heals this man, and he wants this man to be restored to who he once was. He wants him to reclaim his identity. I mean, there's kids at home that make it to welcome back a father who's been made well who's been made new. There's a spouse that's been waiting for her husband to come home, he's been made new. Jesus has this encounter with this man and you see the contrast in his life and then he says, don't stop there. It's not enough just to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's not enough just to even go home but he says, tell everybody who the Lord is and what he has done for you. He says, you go on mission, you live on mission. You will never be bored in this life. He says, the people were amazed. You know, anytime I've been a part of something that was amazing, it was never boring. And I think Jesus wants to get our attention. I think he wants to remind us of who he is to us. And as we see who he is to us, we see the opportunity we have to share our story. Look what happens and as you flip over a couple of chapters in Mark chapter seven. Jesus left the capitalist after having the encounter with this man. He tells this man, go share your story with everybody. And we find out that people are amazed. <clears throat> Verse 31 of chapter seven. I mean, this man has gone back home his kids are like, last time I saw my dad, he was running around naked up in the mountains and now he's like talking normal, he's under control, he's peaceful, he's a good dad, like all these crazy things are happening. Amazing story. In the verse 31 it says, again, he went out to the, from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Talking about Jesus. He makes a second trip to this place. It's the only other time he ever went to Decapolis. It says, they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And some of us wanna throw up right now as we think about that. But it says, and looking to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephpatha, that is be opened. And his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. I mean, Jesus does the impossible. Jesus does in this story the miraculous, only what he can do, something you and I have no power to do. But why did he do this? How did this happen? There was a man who took Jesus at his word, and he said, whatever you say, Jesus, I'm all in. You want me to go share my story? I'm gonna go share my story. And then Jesus shows back, and people are familiar with Jesus. Why? Because they had heard a story of a man whose life was completely changed by the power of Jesus. And he continued to do that. He shared his story, he pointed to Jesus, and then he hit repeat. He shared his story, he pointed to Jesus, and then he hit repeat. He shared his story, he pointed to Jesus, and then he hit repeat over and over and over. And then when Jesus steps back onto the scene, people know who he is because this man and those that he's been connected with are continuing to talk about who he is and the power that he brings. I mean, it's an incredible story. The last verse in verse 37 says, they were utterly astonished saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute 
to speak. All because a man simply trusted Jesus. All because a man said, you know what, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm gonna do it. And he was obedient and he trusted. What could God do through you? What could God do through us? If we just share our story, point to Jesus and hit repeat over and over and over. You know, I don't believe there's anything boring about that. Jesus embraced the uncomfortable. And I know that that's tough for us. And I know that we feel like we have lived in a culture where we don't wanna offend anybody. And what I believe is what I believe and what they believe is what they believe. And I should never press into that and create any kind of tension. And maybe the first step for us is to just simply make an invitation. Because that's really what this place is. It's an opportunity for people to hear about Jesus because we're gonna point to Jesus every single week. Maybe it's a simple invitation to be back here next week for a brand new teaching series that Mark is kicking off. We're gonna kick off the fake news series. We've got Brett Beyer and Neil Cavuto taking on Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper in a cage match. It's gonna be incredible. (laughs) That's fake news. (laughs) But it would be awesome if it was really happening. But we're ultimately gonna look at the lies that we believe, not in the media, but the lies we believe sometimes that we tell ourselves that are incredibly destructive. And maybe it's the opportunity for you to invite somebody to a place that you value and you believe that they would find value in because they're gonna find Jesus. Maybe you're a teenager or a parent of a teenager. There's an event happening this Wednesday in this room that our student team has been working for weeks on called United. And it's an opportunity for students just to gather together to bring their friends who don't know Jesus so they can see Jesus, they can experience Jesus. It's gonna be an incredible, incredible week. I believe God wants to do some powerful things through this place in the next few weeks and months. This week, as I was looking through an old journal, I came across a poem that was written all the way back in the 60s, and I wanna close tonight by reading this poem to you. It's called, I Stand at the Door by a guy named Sam Shoemaker. And if you were here at First Thursday, I read this, and I wanna read it again because I think it's the perfect way to land the plane this morning. It says this, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which people walk when they find God. There is no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. People die outside the door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the other people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away again from God. You see, you can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men and women as not to hear them. And remember, they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, 10 of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. You know, at the end of my life, I hope I'm simply known as a doorkeeper. I hope you're simply known as a doorkeeper. One who helps people remember that there's a God who loves them. One who helps people see and discover that there's a Jesus who gave his life for them on the cross. A doorkeeper who helps people recognize that they can step into something new where the past has no power over them and they have been empowered in their future by the power of God himself. I simply want to be a doorkeeper. We are doorkeepers. You see, if we get to this point in the message and we just think this is something that, that Wes or, or some, some specific people in this place are supposed to do out of obligation, we've missed the point. This is the life that Jesus has called us to live. You know, it's interesting that I get asked some really funny questions sometimes about things that happen around this place and we all get these as staff sometimes. It's like, man, why do you guys play the music you play the way you play it? Why the lights? Why the fog? Because we stand by the door. Why the casual, comfortable, simple environments? Because we stand by the door. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do more of this? Why, why, why don't you stop doing this? Because we stand by the door. And that brings some criticism sometimes. And that criticism can shake my insecurity up. But that criticism is worth it. If I can help one hurting person simply find the door. Listen, community of faith is not a perfect place. I, I, I mean, if you are perfect, you might wanna run because we'll mess you up. We're not a perfect place, but we are willing to do whatever it takes short of sin to help someone know Jesus. And it's something we've all been tasked with. It's something we're all called to be a part of. Why? So that maybe in just a few weeks, someone who's never been in this place, who's never been in a place like this, who's never sung the song we sung this morning saying, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. They've never sung that. They've never experienced that. But maybe God wants to use you to hold the door so that maybe in a few weeks they stand in this place and they sing that, not because it's a new unfamiliar thing, but they've seen it because they've experienced it in their life. They've experienced Jesus as a way maker, as a miracle worker, as a promise keeper, as a light in their life darkness maybe you're in a place today where you're on the run from God maybe you're in a place like I was at one point in my life where you know what it's like to be on the other side of the door lonely desperate frustrated and maybe you're even thinking does anybody care does God care is God out there does the church care and the answer is yes we care we care deeply the answer is yes, God is there and God cares deeply. And I believe maybe he's pulling you in today. Would you allow me to take you by the hand and show you the door to God? And then you have to make the choice to step through the door. How do you do that? Simply say, Jesus, here's my life. I trust you with everything because I've trusted myself for way too long. Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you, show me how to live. Can we pray? Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the work that you have accomplished for us. And God, right now, I just pray that you would give full confidence 
perfect peace, all the hope to the one, the two, the 20, maybe the 50, 200 people that need to experience that this morning. And as they experience that, they would trust you. Give them the confidence to trust. And then I pray that you would give us courage and boldness, every single one of us in this place, to simply share our story. And that we would never forget the power in the story because of who you are and what you've done for us. I pray that what's happened here, what we've heard here this morning, what we've experienced here this morning would go with us, that it wouldn't stay here, but it would go out and begin to make an impact in the world around us. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.